0: You're listening to audio from Restoration Church. If you enjoyed the message and would like to get connected to our church, follow us on social media at Restoration Cambridge or at our website, restoration church.ca. Send us a message and we would love to hear from you. A group of boys who survive a plane crash find themselves alone on a deserted island. Some believe rescue is imminent while others, uh, others believe that they need to prepare themselves for the long haul, which came to be true. No one was coming to the rescue, at least in the meantime, and they needed to prepare themselves to survive this desert island. So they organize themselves. They collect resources. They find food, shelter, and water in order to survive together. This initial burst of organization, though, quickly subsides. Some of the boys refuse to work. They just want to play all day. Some fight for power of the group. Some can't agree on what needs to be accomplished, and they start separating off into different factions. And maybe worst of all, the fear was getting to all of them and a nasty rumor of a monster in the jungle that was going to tear them limb from limb would happen at any time. Through fear, envy, struggle for power, and a fight for survival turned into, you know, a fight amongst each other to one of the boys saying, well, maybe there is a beast or maybe... The beast is just us. At the end of the book, William Golding, who writes Lord of the Flies, uh, it's an interesting question posed. One of the boys asks the question at the end of the book, after especially it got to the point where they murdered one of their own. What are we? Kind of similar to the question we are asking: What does it mean to be human? If you didn't listen to last week, uh, I apologize. This is we're kind of going through. They're kind of kind of build on each other. Colin is going to speak next week on the goal of humanity. Last week we looked on what is the meaning of humanity. What does it, uh, uh, being created in the image and likeness of God today? how we lose that humanity that we've been given. So before we kind of dig into this, would you pray with me, God? Today is a little bit heavier, sobering. You know, we, we see the amazing creation that, that you have planned for us, that we were created in the image and likeness of God. We are not divine, but we are sacred creation In your eyes, we were created to be like our Creator. What an amazing promise. What an amazing reality. And through that image, we were to be representatives of our God, to care for this world that you have given us as your representatives, to see the life of God spread all over this world. What an amazing call. Not just for pastors, not just for kings, not for politicians, but for every human being. That is their call. That is their purpose. And yet, Lord, we look at the world around us, and we don't really see that. We kind of survey the damage like those boys surveyed the damage of what had occurred amongst them. And we ask the question, man, what does it mean? to be human. Lord, I pray that you would guide me as I speak, give me wisdom and words, and also all of us as we wrestle with the sobering reality of losing our humanity, and yet there is still hope. We pray for these things in your name. Amen. You don't have to go here. You'll know what passage this is. The serpent was more crafty than any other beast of the field that the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, did God actually say you shall not eat of any tree in the garden? And the woman said to the serpent, we may eat, So, when the woman saw that the tree was good for food and that it was a delight to the eyes, and maybe most importantly, that the tree was to be desired to make one wise, she took its fruit and ate it. And she also gave some to her husband who was with her, and he ate as well. One of my favorite games to play is just a simple card game. I'm looking right at Willem because Willem is one of the ones who played with me recently called Saboteur. Some of you have played Saboteur with me. It's one of the only games that you will find Aaron Ottaway playing. I'm not a board game guy, but I love Saboteur. The idea of Saboteur, without getting into everything because it's a little bit nerdy once you get under the surface. The idea, though, is uh, there's two teams. One is trying to find gold. The other is trying to stop that team from finding gold. Gold. But the interesting part of the game is you do not know at the beginning of the game who is on your team and who is not on your team. And the idea is you try to, this might be the only time the pastor says the point of this game or you are allowed to do this, you try to deceive one another. The problem is it's just as easy to deceive yourself in the game. Uh, Myself, Willem, and Ryan, after some chirps were exchanged in the game, which would mean we were angry with each other, we started to sabotage one another in the game while ignoring everyone else around the table. The problem was, which we did not know, Ryan, Willem, and I were in fact unknowingly on the same team. And we lost. It's very easy to deceive yourself. See, there's a burden that, that exists underneath mankind where we go wrong. And I think this is what tends to happen. We watch the news or we see things happening in our world and we say, man, that's the problem. Look at the war, look at the death, look at the bloodshed. And we think that's the problem. And I'm not saying that that's not a problem, but that is just simply a symptom of something else that's going on under the surface. The glaring problem that exists is who we believe we are. Who are we as humans? This is the greatest deception that has ever been known to man. Who are we as humans? Human beings. Of course, we are being created in the image of God, a sacred creation, as I prayed, sent out into the world to bring his blessing to every faction of the world. But because we are created in the likeness of God, to be like God, we were given something that God has as well, which is called a will. The ability or freedom to make a choice. A freedom to choose. Like God has chosen to love us, chosen to save us, chosen to send his son in order to save us, and chooses us, we are given the same will to respond, to love God, to give ourselves to him, to choose him. We've been given this great gift. And it's because we've been created in the image of God. But choice is fascinating. Choice is a great gift. But think about it. It's kind of one of our greatest curses, isn't it? Like, think about why evil exists. Why does evil exist? Because of the will of man. We have chosen it. It's a great gift from God, but it also is our own undoing. We are given freedom to choose, but by those same choices, we enslave ourselves to those wrong choices. All evil in the world is due to the will of man. We get this wrong. We think that because we've been given choice, it means that the choice in itself is right. No, (laughs) Not a thousand times. No. Just because we've been given the freedom to choose does not mean our choice is right and good for us. That is not true. And we learned that right from the beginning in Genesis 3. Man, parents know this all too well. You don't have to be a parent. You just have to know some kids. Adults are probably more like kids than we want to admit. There have been so many times, man, I have, I led youth groups, like junior high, high school, and I was like, you know what, if I was God, I wouldn't give you the choice. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, by, like, I do not have that much grace and love for you to give you the choice, because I wish I could make this choice for you, because you are choosing to destroy your own life. Like, choice, just because we begin the freedom to choose for ourselves does not mean the choice is good. In fact, more often than not, I think we make the wrong choice. Choice is fascinating. I think there 's a trend that is kind of moving in our culture that 's kind of concerning when it comes to even a, a trend when it comes to to children that we 're not really here to teach children we 're just here to kind of keep them alive and make them choose for themselves that 's not right like we all have to teach we all have to learn what is right and what is wrong and we are not called simply to just affirm one another's choices. We're not. I am thankful for the people in my life, man, that hold me accountable to the choices I make and who are not called to simply affirm Aaron's choices. Because more often than not, I choose wrongly. The choices we make, this is really important, the choices we make are directly related to what we believe is true. The choices we make are directly related to what is true. In that book that William Golding writes in Lord of the Flies, there's a character named Stephen who finds a body that's dead on the beach. And he runs to tell the rest of the people and says, I found the body. But there's already a rumor of a beast that doesn't really exist. But they're also stricken by fear. They think Stephen is the beast and they murder Stephen. The problem is all of them believed something was true and it wasn't. And they did something despicable because of something that wasn't actually real. I want you to go to a Passage of Scripture. Because I'm not actually going to be in Genesis 3. I want to go to Ephesians 4, 17 to 24. I'm going to read this passage. It's been flipping around in my head for a couple of weeks. It's, I don't think I've ever really, it's never really been opened to me before or revealed to me before in all of its fullness. Ephesians 4, 17 to 24. I'm going to read it, maybe kind of work backwards a little bit. Here's the story of mankind, though, in Ephesians 4:17 to 24. Says, now this I say and testify in the Lord that you must no longer walk as the Gentiles do in the futility of their minds. They are darkened in their understanding, alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to their hardness of heart. Created after the likeness, and that should bring you right back to Genesis chapter 1. Created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. See, verse 24 at the end describes this is what we were intended to be. We are created after the likeness of God. This is what humanity was intended to be and created to be from the very beginning. When it says true righteousness and holiness, that is just pointing us right back to God, who got what God says is right and wrong. And holiness is just the character of God, the unique character of God. That is the way we are to live. That's who we are. But there was a problem, though. What's the problem in the passage at the beginning? Kind of working backwards. What's the problem? Don't walk as the Gentiles do. Don't walk as the Gentiles do. See, Paul writes this to a group of Christians and when he says Gentiles, basically that was everyone because it's everyone in the surrounding world that this culture that they were a part of and it sounds negative. Like don't be like those people but that's not what Paul is saying. Paul is not negating human value here nor even Gentile culture. Paul in other places in the Bible says I'm giving my life to the Gentiles. I'm a missionary to the Gentiles as opposed to Peter who's God sent to the Jews. I am sent to the Gentiles. And I'm gonna give and care and serve the Gentiles. So Paul isn't saying don't just like don't be like those people they're so other than me we are not going to be like those people it wasn't their food it wasn't their faces it wasn't their weird accent that they might have that paul says don't be like them why did he say don't walk as the gentiles do in verse 17 the futility of their minds now he's not In this, he's not saying that they're uneducated people, and we just need to be more educated and give more knowledge. He's saying there's something going on in their head that is empty of true meaning and value. That's what futility is. They don't know what life is about. They don't know who God is, and not just in information, but they don't have meaning, at least for it to have any bearing on who they believe they are before him. There's another passage in Scripture that uses futility in the same way, and it's Romans chapter 1. Romans 1, verse 21, says that they knew God. This is a commentary on the world. They knew God, but they didn't honor Him as God. They knew about God. He's there. They have knowledge of God, but they didn't honor Him as God or give thanks to Him, but they became, in Romans 1, futile in their thinking. And then verse 25 in Romans 1 says this. This is really, 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 really important. The futile new thinking was this. They exchanged the truth of God for a lie. They exchanged the truth of God for a lie. And because of that, they worshipped and served themselves, the creature, rather than the Creator. Guys, why does sin happen in our world and in your life? Why does it happen? I don't think anyone gets up and says, you know what, I'm going to be an addict today. Like, no one does that. No husband wakes up and says, you know what, I'm going to, you know, after getting married, like, I'm going to cheat on my wife. Like, no one wants to do those things. So, how do they happen? The answer is it always, 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 say always again. It always begins with deception. We believe something that isn't true, we believe the lie, we exchange the truth of God for a lie. In Genesis 2 and 3 that I read at the beginning of the message, there was harmony between creature and creator and creature and creature and God gives Adam and Eve this choice. Where does the serpent, who is craftier than all, everything else that was created, where does the serpent attack Eve? Does he like force an apple into Eve's mouth? You know what I mean? He doesn't do that. He doesn't like put sin all around her so that she has no choice but to accept. Where does... Satan attack, the serpent attack Eve through what she believed was true. Did God really say that? I'm not sure if he really said that. Are you sure he has your back? Are you sure he wants the best for you? There's more for you than what God said. See what I'm saying? Like it sounded really good. It sounds like it, sounds like it was almost like a, it's being sold as self-fulfillment. Like there's more for you out there, Eve, to experience than what God has and he's, hold, he's not telling you the truth. That's where Satan always attacks, guys. We think Satan's going to come in and just like throw sin in front of us. That's not how Satan Satan over time deceives. And the best kind of deception is when we have no idea that it's actually happening, but we begin to believe something that's not true about ourselves and about God. That's how sin works. It's based on deception. And we're really good at being deceived. And we're really good at deceiving ourselves. Satan placed God not as a friend but as an adversary, and man, he's a good salesman. It offered power, moral high ground to the self. I get to define my own life. I get to define what's right and wrong for me. It's like the tree desired to make my. I I get to choose all of these things for myself. Man, it sounds good. What was sold to them as self-fulfillment was going to unwind all of the good that they had experienced up until that point, though. I've said this before. God doesn't need your obedience. Who needs your obedience? You do. God doesn't need me to obey him. It's not like he's losing out if I don't obey him. I need my obedience. The problem for Eve was she began to believe a truth that wasn't true, a reality that wasn't true. And Man, she was convinced. Deception works best when you don't even know what's happening. We, we can so easily construct an alternate reality that isn't real. Man, we can. I don't even think we believe that we can, but man, we can. The age of social media and online stuff proves that this has been true for a millennia and maybe true more than ever, that it is so easy easy to, to create an alternate reality that isn't grounded in the truth. It's so easy to do that. I hate Twitter, so I'm going to pick on Twitter. I think Twitter makes bitter, angry people. I've seen it. So I don't care about Twitter at all. So I could say more, but I'll hold back. (laughs) So you go to something like Twitter to get a greater view of reality and what tends to happen. I've seen this story. It's a tale as old as time people come out of it with a sense that they think they know better but they have no idea what they're talking about because social media is rigged against you You know that, right? Social media is rigged against you. The more you search one thing, the more things they'll send to you about that one thing. You ever had a conversation with someone and look at your phone and be like, what the heck? Like, How did they know that this was happening? And all of a sudden, all of your news articles are based upon this one thing. And then you begin to construct that, oh, maybe this is the way it is. And then everyone should think the exact same thing as this. Guys, it's rigged against you. It's creating an alternate reality that isn't... Real, I'm saying this to you as your pastor, as your friend, as your brother in Christ. Social media might be, it might be killing you in the sense of it is taking away your humanity. I'm sick of it. I think it creates a bunch of self-righteous, angry, bitter people. No wonder, like, the world's divided. Like you spend one minute on Twitter and you're like, I'm, I'm shocked people get along as they do. It's like looking for something to get angry about. Do you, know, do you know anger, this is kind of off on the side, do you know anger is the quickest pill to give you some sort of purpose and meaning but you're not actually doing anything about it? So you get angry at something, it makes you feel like you're doing something but you're not doing anything? That's often why we get so angry. Because we think, man, we're, we lack purpose we think we're doing something, but we're not. Twitter rant over. <laughs> no, it's not over. Never mind. I got something else. Remember when I gave you all the remember when I gave you all the stats a couple weeks ago when we had House Church online and, and this this is this is something that we gotta wake up to because when it comes to self-harm, suicide attempts, hospitalizations amongst Gen Z, I've almost doubled, tripled, or even quadrupled amongst first. Uh, like first world Western culture countries, Canada, Uni- United Kingdom, United States, Australia, New Zealand, countries like that have d- doubled, tripled, or qu- even quadrupled amongst Gen Z since, not because of COVID, since about 2009, 2010. It's skyrocketed. It's, it's scary. The only thing that I can think of is that's when smartphones went mainstream. Now, I'm not saying that's the only reason. That's the only thing I can think of. Of what happened in 2009, 2010. Everyone got one of these in their hand. It's made us really angry, paranoid people. Even stress related heart disease has gone through the roof amongst young people. Now my social media rant is over, it'll come back at some point. I'm saying this because I deceived myself too. Man, there's things that I wouldn't even have known about 20 years ago that I find myself worrying about. It's like, I wouldn't even have known that this even existed if not for spending my life on a stupid rectangle with a screen. I okay, hate this. It's like, like, like choice. It's the greatest blessing and curse to keep my life organized, but also I want to throw it in the trash every second of my life. Oh, man. man, we, It's so easy to create an alternate reality that isn't real. And it enslaves you. The word the Bible that uses that I think makes all of this really confusing is a word called desire. And we tend to think desire is really simple. You know, it's a strong urge or feeling towards something. And culturally speaking, we tend to view that as a potlatch. If I desire, therefore I am, or therefore it is right for me. This is where it gets confusing because the Bible is not nearly that simple when it comes to this word desire. It often translates this word desire as Ephesians 4 when it talks about deceitful desires. It often translates that word as lust or it also, also translates that word as a really good thing. When it says Jesus, and when, you know when Jesus in Luke says, I've earnestly desired to eat this Passover with you before I go? It's the same word as lust. It's desire. I don't know if you knew that or not. It's the exact same word. So the Bible is not that simple when it comes to what we, how we view the desires that we experience in life. But every pathway toward losing who you are is forged because of a desire. Eve in Genesis 3 says, I, she looks at the tree and she says, well, it's, it looks good, it tastes good. And it's a desire to make one wise. And we believe that the desires we experience will set me free, that that's me because I desire those things. But just like choice, desire is a complicated thing. Not only, like, we experience competing desires. I heard this this past week. You ever been to the grocery store where you're lining up, and right beside the, like, have beach body by three in three months magazines are the candy bars. Like, we want both of those things. You can't have both of those things. You know what I mean? It's like we have competing desires. And it's like to follow our desires, man, it's a roller coaster ride of confusion to just what I'm feeling at any given time. There are also consequential desires that the desires we experience, if we were to follow those things, do not just affect me. There are consequences for everyone around me. Like the single parent that chooses a spouse but has kids, you can't make, just because you desire someone doesn't mean you should make that decision because it affects everyone in your family. There are consequences to the desires we have husband, wife you are in a marriage just because you desire someone outside of that marriage does not mean it is good there are consequences to the desires that we have it's not that simple just because you desire does not mean you are That's why I think Ephesians 4.22 says to put off your old self which belongs to your former manner of life and is corrupt through deceitful desires. They deceive you to believe things that aren't real. The problem is desire that becomes unhinged from what is true. Now desire, again, as I said, is not in itself the problem. I think sometimes in our discipleship what we try to do is focus on numbing the desire that's not a great form of discipleship. Just numb the desire or pretend it doesn't uh, exist. But when desire in itself becomes the master, because desire is not a master, it needs to be hitched to a greater purpose or else we lose its meaning altogether. We lose who we are. Here is, I think, one of the greatest fallacies of our day is we confuse something like identity with desire and we put the, horse, the cart before the horse that my desire determines who I am. That's not true. Who I am should determine our desire. As it says in the passage, that's not the way you learned Christ. You might say, Aaron, "Well, I desire that thing, that's who I am, but that's not who you are. It goes the other way, too, where you just feel an overwhelming sense of failure and say, Aaron, that's who I am. No, that's not who you are. That's not who we were created to be. I think we should burn with desire. But if it becomes unhinged from who we are, we've lost who we are. The key of this entire passage, and I don't want to be over, overly simplistic because he says in verse 20, that is not the way you learned Christ. Assuming you heard about immortality, and at the end, say so to be renewed in the spirit of your minds, to put on the new self created after the likeness of God. That is who you are. I think the point, and not to be overly simplistic or even sound too <laughs> Mufasa-y, and I don't think Disney meant it the way that I'm about to say it, but I think the whole passage is remember who you are. Remember who you are. This is the key. It's not going to be just like a change of behavior. Now I'm, I'm going I'm to do these things, and now, now, now I'm going to be able to, you know, my desires are going to follow with it. Remember who you are. When Paul says to be renewed in the spirit of your minds he's talking about a mindset that we wake up with like this is who I am and these this is the this is the truth that I make all of my decisions upon because that is who I am. You know just like you you could channel the Old Testament like put it on the you know put it on your forehead put it on the doorpost of your house say this to each other in the church Aaron, Colin, Ruth Whoever else, remember who you are. Remember who you were created to be. And may your desire burn for that truth. And the choices you make reflect who you are. My favorite parable is Luke 15. A younger son is deceived into thinking his father is one thing, and he isn't. He thinks he knows better than his father. He thinks, I can live my life better than my dad, what my dad has planned for me. So he's, Dad, dad give me all of my inheritance now, because I know better than you do. So he takes all of his money and runs away. soon discovers by his own deception he enslaves himself to the point where he is eating the same thing as pigs eat and i love the line in while he's scooping up the slop the same slop that pigs are eating and putting it into his mouth the line says and then he came to himself or he came to his senses i was wrong about all of it I was deceived. This is not who I am. I am the son of a great man. And this is not what I was created to be. And he runs back. So I'm going to go back and maybe just, maybe my dad will accept me as a servant. This is where it's, guys, no matter how much we've lost our humanity or the things that we've done, that is not who you are. And I think the parable so beautifully constructs that this is the identity of every soul that walks the planet. This is where they were created to be. As that son walks further, I mean, closer and closer to that house, the father sees him a long way over and runs toward him and throws his arm around his son. That is the best description, I believe, of what it means to be a human being, that we are wrapped around the arms of our Father in heaven. This is who I am. And it doesn't matter how much we've lied to ourselves or deceived ourselves into thinking that wasn't true, but this is who I am and was always created to be. This is what it means to be human. God, thank you for that truth. I think in my life, man, the times when I have been deceived, the times where I thought I've known better, I thought, can I trust this God? It doesn't feel like I should. Something else feels a lot better. But I was deceived. Lord, may each and every one in this room want to experience the truth of being wrapped in the arms of our Creator. That we would give our life to you to live as we are always created to live and have choices reflect that freedom, desires that burn for that purpose. Lord, I, I pray that if there are some in the room, or maybe this morning, we're like coming to their senses coming to themselves like oh man I was wrong I was wrong we know you are waiting for them to choose you we know you are waiting for them to express God I was wrong I need your forgiveness and our loving Father in heaven will run toward us and wrap his arms around us and embrace us and this Who we are. God, we love you. We pray for these things in your name. Amen.